welcome back to another episode of Not DMD, uh, which is brought to you by EN Live, part of EN World, the leading tabletop news and review site. Uh, my name is Jessica, and I'm your host. But much more interestingly, uh, I have my guest on today, Alexi. Alexi, thanks for joining us. So good to be here. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself and uh, letting everyone who doesn't know too much about Cloven Pine Games who you are and uh, what you're all about? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Alexi Sargent. I'm a writer and editor by day and also a player, GM, and designer of RPGs. Under the banner of Cloven Pine Games, I've gotten to contribute design to several exciting games like Trophy, Urban Shadows 2nd Edition, and Avatar Legends. And I have also designed and published some of my own games, uh, including two that funded on Kickstarter during Zine Quest 2 and Zine Quest 3. These were Kickstarter initiatives to encourage people to put out kind of nice, you know, compact zine that I participated in. I got to create a game called The Great Soul Train Robbery about desperados robbing mm-hmm. the train to hell. And then in the second one, uh, I put out a game called Back Again from the Broken Land, uh, on which I collaborated with my wife and mm-hmm. fellow designer, Leah Labresco-Sargent. And that's the game I think we're talking about a little more today. Yes, absolutely. So we're here to talk about Back Again from the Broken Land today. Um, so we'll get into that and uh, discuss everything about the game there. Uh, that's a game that's uh, powered by the Apocalypse, which we've not talked about on the show. Um, so if you have any questions about that, uh, do let us know. Pop them in the chat. We'll pop them up on the screen uh, and we'll ask any questions you have there. Uh, so hello, John. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you again. Um, so before we get into talking about the game, uh, I'd love to, you told us uh, a bit about yourself there, but it was a bit of a whistle stop door so i'd like to slow us down and kind of talk about your background into tabletop gaming so um i always ask what was your first uh tabletop gaming experience that was the earliest kind of memories of playing games you have yeah so you know i had always kind of absorbed some things about dungeons and dragons through kind of pop cultural osmosis but Mm -hmm. when i first sat down to actually play role-playing games i started on the indie end of the scene my kind of exposure started with uh, a wonderful podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A wonderful <laughs> podcast called um, uh, One Shot. Uh, that mm-hmm. uh, there's a whole podcast network now, but the kind of the flagship podcast, One Shot, is mm-hmm. just people getting together and playing one shot sessions of a huge variety of role playing games. And so, mm-hmm. kind of getting into listening to that introduced me to a number of different games. And eventually, I was like, I have to play one of these myself. I have to bring it to the table. So, yeah. Um, there was uh, a game called Dread, which is a horror game played with a Jenga tower. Uh, I believe you interviewed yes. the designer of Dread recently on this very yes. show. Yes, we did on this very show. I believe that was like our second or third episode. So uh, yes, so you can check that out if you want to know more about Dread. But yeah. It's a wonderful game. Incredible amount of tension gets built up when that mm-hmm. tower gets more and more precarious. So hearing them play Dread on this podcast made me think I have to play this for real. So I think it was uh, Halloween... 2016 uh, and I was uh, no Halloween 2015 uh, and I got okay. friends together to play a session of dread so uh, I guess that's seven years ago now mm-hmm. right so it feels like a while ago but I know I'm still a newcomer in some ways given the folks who've been in this hobby for for decades and decades right so I'm I'm still learning my way around everything um, but uh, really enjoyed you know starting to to run some games uh, yeah. starting to you know um, 
play more games both in person and eventually online. And uh, of course, yeah, online. <laughs> you know, just kind of just kind of never looked back from there, right? Got got more and more mm-hmm. involved, and eventually, you know, uh, did things like go to Gen Con, and uh, that's kind of you know uh, can be big event, yeah, exactly. That that could be like a real like drinking from the fire hose, where suddenly you're surrounded <laughs> by people who are also obsessed with games, people, other people designing their own games, people, you know, showcasing games, just opportunities to try out a little taste of everything the tabletop world has to offer yes definitely well that's awesome it's it's so interesting that your first gaming experience was an indie game because i think for so many people uh D is the, the it's the most popular most well-known kind of game out there in in uh you know so and that's kind of why we started this show is to you know just let people know there's other options there not no hate to D. we love a bit of D, uh but we want to hear about more other things so it's it's really interesting that dread was your first game what a great first game as well yeah it gives you a different <laughs> perspective because you know dread has no dice right the the only mechanic mm-hmm. is or the only kind of you know, uh, hard mechanic is this Jenga tower. Um, mm-hmm. But it also has this fascinating perspective on character creation where your character mm-hmm. is made out of questions. You know, the yeah. the host of the game puts together these interesting leading loaded questions that you have to answer and build your character out of those questions. Um, and yeah. something of that has kind of stuck with me, even as I've designed games that are more, you know, dice-based that have, you know, mm-hmm. a bit more of a... a slightly traditional feel, I guess, in that, you know, there's, you know, characters with character sheets and rolling dice to accomplish things, right? But Mm -hmm. uh, even in those, I'm very interested in what are the questions posed by your character, you know, and even if you have, you know, a bunch of stats on your sheet, yeah, can we ask some key questions that make this character come alive? So, you know, in addition to that kind of showcase thing of the Jenga Tower, I think Dread also provides a really cool perspective on what it means to be a character in a role-playing game. Because for Dread, yeah. a character is a list of questions that mm-hmm. the player has to answer. And yeah, you kind of answered some of those ahead of time, but, you know, some some you might still be kind of working over in your mind as you start the game. Like, you know, what does it mean, you know, that I'm this, that as this character, I'm carrying around a picture in my wallet of someone I've never met. Right. Or like just to give an example of the type of loaded question that uh, a dread character sheet includes. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting, especially for a one-shot, because sometimes for a one-shot, you don't spend a lot of time, well, as a player, prepping for it, because you're kind of like, you know, just going to your friend's house to, to do this game, uh, like a campaign where maybe you spend a bit of time thinking about, okay, who do I want to be? Mm. Um, yeah, I definitely love that approach again. And I think I see that um, love for kind of narrative things through into your games as well. Um but I'll probably jump back into that when we talk again about back again from the broken land. Uh, but so first of all, to r- jump into kind of your journey into working in the games industry and and making games, how did that transition go from being a player uh, into, you know, becoming writing them and making games? Because you've been involved in yeah. some really big games. You've been involved in uh, the biggest Kickstarter tabletop RPG <laughs> that f- f- raised funds on Kickstarter ever, which is Avatar Legends, the role playing game. How did you? get involved in that and what was the journey building up to that yeah so you know that all i have to give major credit to magpie games uh Mm -hmm. which is the the publisher of of avatar legends and of many other fine games including uh, masks which was the first campaign i ran so masks is a superhero rpg Mm -hmm. uh you play teenage superheroes figuring out their place in the world and uh I ran that as a campaign. I loved it. My players loved it. We, you know, mm-hmm. played for more than a year, you know, exploring these characters and, you know, uh, made fan art and t-shirts of of these characters. It's kind of <laughs> and the, t-shirts. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's the sort of, you know, I think many people have like that one campaign that was like really special. And for us, yeah. it was this Masks campaign. And so, nice. um, 
you know, we just we just were excited about what Magpie Games was doing, and kind of part of the impetus to go to Gen Con was to run masks for Magpie at Gen Con because they were asking for volunteer GMs to come and and run their games, nice. right? And now Magpie has a you know, they've kind of been slowly building to have a huge presence mm-hmm. at Gen Con, just running, you know, running all the games from their catalog. And, you know, they've got a nice kind of em- empowered, excited fan community to be part of that. So I guess I just t- took it step one step further where when there was, you know, news about upcoming Magpie Kickstarters, I got in touch and started uh, started pitching them on contributing. Um, so mm-hmm. first of the first of these was Urban Shadows Second Edition, uh, where mm-hmm. they were going back around doing a kind of, you know, a new uh, expanded polished version of their game of supernatural urban politics, uh, uh, a kind of, you know, urban fantasy game. Uh, and um, I just started, started pitching playbook ideas and uh, yeah. you know, I, I managed to, uh, to get one that, uh, that they liked one that uh, Magpie Games was interested in, um, you know, hiring me to contribute to the second edition of urban shadows. Okay. Um, and, uh, and then I did the same thing when they announced they had the avatar license, uh, you know, partly because I just love avatar, right. You know, it's such a wonderful okay. you know, set of animated series. And so the fact that, Magpie was doing it, that they were going to do it as a Powered by the Apocalypse game, you know, that meant I would have some, you know, familiarity with the system that they'd be sure. they'd be kind of working from as they created this avatar, uh, this avatar game. So kind of from the very first announcement, I mm-hmm. was, you know, writing to Mark Diaz Truman, uh, one of the um, you know, heads of Magpie Games saying like, hey, I'd love to contribute in some way to to this thing. You know, here are some ideas and we can, mm-hmm. we bounce some ideas back and forth. You know, not all of my ideas fit with the things that they were thinking about, but, sure. um, you know, kind of uh, something came together that seemed both like something I could write and something that would fit in as yeah. one of the playbooks or uh, kind of character classes, as it were, mm-hmm. in Avatar Legends. And so, Kind of, you know, that's how I became a small part of a big Kickstarter. Uh, but I'm very pleased to get to contribute uh, ultimately two playbooks to Avatar Legends because they asked nice. me to assist with one of the uh, expanded playbooks as well. Nice. So it seems like the summary there is just be really enthusiastic about a publisher, get involved <laughs> any way you can, be a super fan of whatever they're doing and know the system. And they're kind of the, that's the combination that that, that brought it all together. Yeah. It, it helps if you're, if you're a known factor for them, right? Like if you're yeah. someone who's been like contributing positively to the community, right. Mm-hmm. Who's been running games for folks and being a, yeah. you know, a, like a helpful presence, for example, on the Magpie Games Discord, uh, then it is it is more likely they'll you know be up to to take a look at something you can you can send in. And you know, obviously they they're exercising judgment too. You know, I I think if uh, <laughs> if yeah. what I'd contributed had been you know not at all a fit, they would have politely you know let uh, let me yeah. down gently on that. But yeah, yeah, of course, know, I was able to find something that could slot into mm-hmm. the projects they were working on. Yeah. Definitely. And I think speaking from a publisher side at EM Publishing, if we work with people before, it's, it makes you so much confident, more confident to work with them again, because it's little things like, oh, are they a good person to work with? Like, do they listen to your feedback? And because it has to fit with the bigger picture. Do they, mm-hmm. you know, submit stuff on time? <laughs> That's another big thing there as well. Yeah. Um, hit, hit your deadlines. But- yeah, yeah. Well, if you do that, that makes me happy. And me doing the business back end things, the less creative side of it helps out a lot. Um, but moving on to other things you've done, because you were nominated for an Any Award as well. So you have, you have a couple of nominations. Uh, would you? That must have been kind of an exciting time to get some kind of, you know, recognition in the industry for your work. Absolutely. Yeah. So 
my game Secret Science Sewer Siblings was nominated for an mm. Emmy for Best Free Game. Um, what a that, title. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's a game about uh, teenage mutants, sewer mutants, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, t- critters uh, banding together to rescue their mentor who's been kidnapped by the bad guys. Uh, it is very much a on-ramp game. It, it was something I wrote for a game jam, which is a little kind of kind of game, a friendly game contest, uh, prompting people to submit games within a certain parameters. And this game mm-hmm. jam was all about on-ramp games, games that could you know be easily yeah. presented to new players, could kind of get someone interested in you know starting to play who hadn't played before and so i came up with what i hoped would be a nice nice easy hook for anyone familiar with teenage mutant ninja turtles the kind of uh obvious bit of inspirational media for this oh really i had no idea i thought this was all it's very subtle it's it's very it's very tricky to to catch that connection there Um, i would would never (laughs) and i think i think what's really nice is it's a a two-page game that's available for free on itch.io so if you go to the cloven pine game storefront uh, yes you can find it right there Uh, and i'm always pleased when i hear about people running it for folks especially younger players who are just you know getting a taste of uh tabletop gaming for the first time um what was I going to say? Oh yeah, I, I love that there are these. There's this culture of of game jams. You know, a lot of um, a lot of them are up on itch.io, kind of prompting designers to you know design something. Could be you know, could be it's all about being a one page game, or could be it's all about being like a mine was an on ramp game, or could be about exploring a particular system, right? Like you know, a, a game jam that's all about finding ways to use d10s or whatever. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so that's that's a lot of fun and mm-hmm. creates a lot of great inspiration and i'm glad that people connected with secret science sewer siblings and uh mm-hmm. you know the uh the any nomination is uh, a big honor as well well excellent well yeah uh, so everybody watching if uh you are enamored by the title as i am uh <laughs> you can go grab that for free on itch.io and the links will be in the show notes on the podcast as well so you can check that out on there uh, and just up on the screen now if anyone interested there um so that's kind of uh your kind of background and, and history into into games um so when did you start cloven pine games when did that when did that begin uh i think i started calling some calling things i did you know uh, cloven pine saying that cloven pine games presents on uh games i was working on pretty soon after i started playing games at all um uh I, uh, you know, think I first printed up some business cards that said Cloven Pine Games on them when I brought some games of mine to uh, one of the double exposure conventions in Morristown, New Jersey. Uh, this is a wonderful series of game conventions here here in the United States. Um, they have kind of in a normal year, three conventions a year, um, mm-hmm. uh, Metatopia, Dexcon and Dreamation. And they all have slightly different focuses, but there's a you know culture of bringing new games to all of them. Uh, Metatopia is the one that is very specifically about playtesting and pitching mm-hmm. and refining uh, games in development. But um, they're kind of all good opportunities for designers who are getting started to uh you know, kind of meet other folks in the industry, you know, play test their games with people who are excited to play test games. You know, uh, it's, it's good going to a convention where people know that there are kind of, you know, in development games and are excited to be part yeah. of that process. Right. You know, rather than it's everyone's expecting the game to be already in a polished state. Uh, sure. It's fun finding that special player who's really excited about games that are still coming together and getting to, to yeah. test them along the way. Um, yeah. So, 
yeah, so Cloven Pine Games, you know, mm-hmm. is just the just the label for the games that I'm making. I, I find mm-hmm. that you know it helps just having that to point to. You know, it sounds more legit than just yeah, it's a game by Alexi Sargent. Who's Alexi Sargent? Oh, it's a game from Cloven Pine Games. Oh, that's a <laughs> that's the name of a gaming company. I guess it must be legit. Um, but but for a lot <laughs> yeah. of us out here, right? You know, we are we are creating creating games that we're passionate about, and mm-hmm. you know, if you can put a name on that, that allows people to kind of key to remember them right and mm-hmm. uh, and, and like think of them as you know a a body of work and not just you know some random games by some random person uh yeah. that that can be a you know a, a helpful tool yeah and also i'd say because i mean you're a, a writer for tabletop rpgs that's worked on other products but also i think having your own kind of brand and name and doing your own kickstarter is a completely different process so um i'm going to ease us into talking about uh back again from the broken land uh, now. Uh, so we can start um, kind of getting into the meat of the discussion, what we're talking about there, because that was a, a Kickstarter product. So we'll jump onto that. Um, yeah. But for what's the elevator pitch for back again from the broken land? So if, if people have never heard of it, how would you introduce the game to them? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, back again from the broken land is a short powered by the apocalypse game of small adventurers sharing stories on the long walk home. It is meant to be played in one or two sessions uh, with AGM and three to five players. The game is inspired by the emotional and even bittersweet stretches of the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. So Tolkien inspired small adventurers taking the long walk home mm-hmm. Uh there are no eagles to fly you. You're going to have to walk <laughs> back. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's very much a, a love letter to parts mm-hmm. of the Lord of the Rings uh, that Leah and I particularly love. And of mm-hmm. course, there's no shortage of games that draw inspiration from Tolkien. D&D itself, absolutely, you know, pulling elves and dwarves right and left from Tolkien. Uh, but we were sort of thinking about, you know, what are those moments that we find the most compelling within the Lord of the Rings and could those be the whole basis of a game, right? And in some ways, yeah. those are the interstitial moments. Those are the mm-hmm. moments of, you know, the hobbits uh, uh, camping and making meals and singing songs and, you know, kind of sharing secret worries with each other mm-hmm. uh, and having a game where the mechanics are really intensely focused on that was sort of the design challenge that Back Again from the Broken Land sprang out of. Sure. I feel like you've done this elevator pitch before. I'm not the first person to ask because that was a very <laughs> comprehensive overview there. Um, yeah, so I really um, love the, the kind of the theme of the game because like you say, the thing about Lord of the Rings that has so much uh, charm and joy in it, particularly in the early uh, part of the books or the films, if you know, um, isn't that these big epic fight scenes and those things, it's those really small moments and, you know, uh, you know, near the end when it's just Frodo and Sam on their own, it's about those connections and that's a really key part of the story and that's what the heart of this game seemed to be about to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was kind of a, uh, there's kind of an inkling of this game that started when uh, a design challenge was going around Twitter asking people to just design moves for six fictional characters and people, you know, mm-hmm. you, you like put up the prompt and people ask you to design a move for a particular character. Mm-hmm. And so someone said to me, Samwise Gamgee. And I was like, okay, what would... What a guy. <laughs> yeah, what would the Samwise Gamgee move be? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so I came up with a move called, um, you know, I can carry you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that, you know, a version of that move has ex- exists now in Backing Up from the Broken Land. So, mm-hmm. so kind of in some ways that move came before the game itself, just from 
you know, uh, being excited to design a Samwise Gamgee move and then start thinking about like, what sort of a game would this fit in? What, what yeah. mechanics does this move imply? You know, I've, I've, I've said it, I've said in this move, something about, you know, taking on burdens. Well, what are burdens? You know, the, mm-hmm. the move doesn't make me define that, but if I'm going to turn it into yeah. a game, I have to define what does it mean for a character to be carrying a burden? And that became one of the major you know, themes and mechanics of back again from the broken land, the, uh, the emotional baggage these characters mm-hmm. are carrying because they've just completed this epic quest. And now what we're seeing is a homeward journey where they will have to reckon with those burdens that are weighing them down. Yeah, and to get into kind of the mechanics of it, so um, as we mentioned before, we mentioned Powered by the Apocalypse. Uh, so you've worked on other projects with that, and that's what you chose to kind of put in this game. Um, so if people that aren't familiar with that system, um, could you just talk us through uh, how, how that works and what that looks like and, and yeah, why it fits so well I'm, with what you were just saying? I'm very happy to. I love Powered by the Apocalypse as a system. Um, mm-hmm. I mentioned a couple games, I think, already that are powered by the apocalypse, including Masks, Urban Shadows, mm-hmm. and uh, the Avatar Legends RPG. So mm-hmm. uh, this all stems from work that uh, Vincent and McGay Baker did with Apocalypse World. Uh, and then they kind of made clear that um, anyone who found Apocalypse World inspiring could call their game Powered by the Apocalypse. Uh, yeah. And there's, you know, and you know, to use the like, the logo, you have to you know get a sign off from Vincent McGay, but they are very generous in you know mm-hmm. uh, letting people you know uh, letting people brand themselves as PBTA. You know, inspiration from Apocalypse World. Uh, now, of course, you know many types of games can draw inspiration from Apocalypse World, so PBTA could can be a really a really broad label. But if we're talking mm-hmm. about some of the games that are most easily recognized as PBTA or kind of, you know, near the core of PBTA space, uh, uh, what you'll often find is games where there are characters defined by playbooks, uh, which means you kind of, you know, you have this nice printout that has, you know, all of the main rules you need to know about your character on it. And, the, and it's often not just about like what you can do. It's often a playbook that uh, gives you a sense of what this character's arc is going to be, what this character's central questions are. Um, yeah. For example, in Backing Up in the Broken Land, some of the playbooks mm-hmm. I included are uh, The Shepherd, The Volunteer, uh, The Wayfinder, mm-hmm. The Turncoat. Uh, and on each of these, I have a central question right at the top of the page. Yeah. So if, you're, if you open up the, you know, the Shepherd and you're getting ready to play this character, it says at the top, when hope flickers, your companions look to you how will you keep your flock together? And that is kind of right there at the top. And you know, that's going to be the kind of question about your character. So, you know, more so than abilities, sometimes that kind of narrative, um, narrative direction is the key thing that defines a character in a powered by the apocalypse game. Um, So that drives kind of the role play and makes you think about who your character is and what their motivations are in the game. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Part of the apocalypse games are often also characterized by uh, having a set of moves uh, where, kind of, rather than rather than a sort of a, a skill check, right? Rather than some other ways of handling, um, you know, handling uh, 
resolution of, of conflict or tasks uh, powered by the apocalypse kind of relies on this structure of moves where, you know, the conversation is flowing, the GM is describing the world, the players are describing what the characters do, and then the player describes something that triggers a move, right? So you, mm-hmm. you say, I, you know, I get up in his face and start, you know, berating him to get him to back down. <laughs> and it's like, well, it sounds to me like you're going aggro, right? And you look at the basic moves list. There's a move right there called going aggro. It says when you go mm-hmm. aggro, you know, roll plus hard. And it's like, all right, here we go off to the races. We're going to roll plus hard. Uh, so, you know, that's just one example, right? There's, there's mm-hmm. many different moves. And in some ways by kind of picking a set of basic moves, you can make a lot of choices off the get-go about what your game is going to be. So that's kind of where Apocalypse World like really invites immediate hacking, right? Because people mm-hmm. ever, you look at that basic move list and you're like, oh, there's moves for going aggro, but not moves for offering comfort and support. And that's that fits the setting, right? Apocalypse yeah. World is a, a harsh and unforgiving place. But if you were want if you wanted to write a game where characters comforting and supporting each other was as important as going aggro, then you have this immediate prompt of, okay, what would that move look like? What, what would I write as both the trigger for the move and you know what stat would it involve? What would be the possible results when you roll? Mm-hmm. Um, when you roll the move, uh, kind of in most part by the Apocalypse games, you're looking at kind of three bands of results where uh, you know you roll two d six plus your stat, and if the total is a six or less, that is a miss. You are in the GM's hands. Uh, you might not <laughs> necessarily fail, but the GM is kind of in, instructed to make the fiction more interesting and probably make your life more complicated yeah. with their reaction to your miss. Uh, but you get a little more control if you roll uh, if you roll higher, right? If you roll a seven to nine, that's a a partial or mixed success where you get some of what you want, but you're often picking a more limited or you know not ideal version of what you're aiming for. And then mm-hmm. a ten plus is a full strong success where your character gets like more ability to kind of really like take the reins of the fiction in that moment. And the hope yeah. is if it moves designed well, all of those results are interesting. Yeah. And someone's commented there saying that I'm guessing uh, Mike is not a person who rolls very well with their dice. This is the best part is that the GM doesn't have to roll any dice necessarily. Yeah, so, they, they don't need to. You know, it's often the case that um, kind of what NPCs do and what the world does is mm-hmm. kind of built to just respond to the player's roles. So that in some ways simplifies things where the GM is just, you know, following a set of uh, of agendas and principles that govern mm-hmm. their behavior, but they're not, you know, themselves rolling dice. They're just, you know, when the players roll dice, they're reacting. And when the mm-hmm. players roll a miss, they're often, you know, kind of reacting hard. That's kind of the chance for <laughs> NPCs to, you know, to bring the pain if that's the type of game and that's the type of scene that you're playing. Okay, so that's kind of uh, one through kind of you build your characters in the playbook, you have these uh, moves that you kind of almost like if you were in D&D, that would be like your skill check or something like that is kind of the comparison there. Um, so uh, and then you talked a lot about burdens, which is, I think you said, one of the main reasons you chose, we thought this system would fit really well with the story you were trying to tell. How do yeah, those work? So, so, so burdens, burdens are a, back again from the broken land thing, but they're mm-hmm. kind of, they're kind of responding to a trend in Powered mm-hmm. by the Apocalypse design of mm-hmm. coming up with alternatives to a traditional um, hit point system, kind of what, mm-hmm. what, what would be mm-hmm. a different way of tracking kind of character health and stability that tells us more about say their emotional state. Cause you know, some in some games, it makes more sense to abstract away the character's kind of 
you know, level of level of physical health, right? Like, sure, you know, sure. if you break a leg in the game, you know, that, yeah. that will make things more narratively challenging. It makes sense that the GM, sure. will, you know, narrate how it's it's how the like journey has become much more difficult. They might call for roles when they otherwise wouldn't. But, uh, sure. but you you know, kind of not every game wants to have um, kind of physical injury or wear be the main way of keeping track of how characters are faring. So burdens is a you know, a very different take on it where what kind of weighs your character down is these kind of uh, these emotional ties and baggage that they've been left with after mm-hmm. participating in this grand adventure. And so at the start of playing back again from the broken land, your character will have a couple burdens, uh, you know, one of them already named and some of them unnamed. And depending on the playbook you've picked, it'll be different numbers. So the mm-hmm. turncoat has a lot of burdens right at the beginning because you are oh, yeah. a character who was used as an instrument by the dark lord and now you know at the 11th hour you've you've come back to the good guy's side but you're still carrying all this all this weight right and you know mm-hmm. a big question for you is will you be able to go back home at all so you know yeah. if you're if you're a, a glutton for drama the turncoat is an excellent playbook to uh, to choose well what role players are not a glutton for drama <laughs> so um speaking of the characters this this is some of the art from the book here so these kind of the the character archetypes we have here Yes, that's right. And I should credit Emily Cheeseman, a wonderful artist mm-hmm. who both illustrated the cover for Backing Up from the Broken Land and these interior uh, playbook illustrations. There's the wraparound cover. So beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's a gorgeous game. A gorgeous picture there as well. Um, so what about some of the other um, characters we have in there? So what sort of burdens do the different ones have in the playbook there? Yeah. So, so kind of everybody starts with some named burdens and some unnamed burdens. So mm-hmm. part of the game is, you know, uh, naming your burdens as you kind of you know, build up the story through flashbacks, you decide kind of what burdens mm-hmm. your characters are carrying. But just to give a couple examples here, I'll do, I'll do this middle row. So that's the burglar. Uh, who starts out with the burden of a perilous prize. So something they stole along the way is weighing them down. Uh, the wayfinder, uh, who starts out with the burden wanderlust, right? Like they mm-hmm. they are kind of this more ranger type character and it's unclear, you know, how willing they are to actually, you know, settle down at the end of this adventure. And then the, uh, the turncoat there who we've been talking about is sure. uh, someone carrying the burden of a further still secret betrayal. Uh, so oh. if you're playing the turncoat, that's something you'll have to kind of reckon with and define. Figure out what that is. Yeah. Exactly. Mm, I like it. Um, we've had a question um, from somebody in the comments. So they've asked for um, if you, <laughs> so if a playbook from Back Again for the Broken Land describe you, Alexi, which would it be? So which one is is closest to you? Ooh, what a deep, is, what a deep and personal question that this feels is, like. This is a personal <laughs> question. Um, yeah. So. I am I'm the the oldest of four siblings, so I think mm-hmm. the shepherd speaks to me a lot, right? Yeah. You know, this character who has a real sense of responsibility for the mm-hmm. the flock that is following them. Um, you know, like many of us, there are days when I feel a little bit like the imposter. Uh, that's the uh, that's the character oh, yeah. right there <laughs> in the the middle of the bottom row in the image you're showing. the The imposter, you know, is uh, someone carrying the identity of a folk hero that they have stolen. Uh, oh, and they're wow. hoping they can get to the end of this adventure without anyone realizing uh, that they've, uh, you know, that they've made this switch, that they've done this, you know, mm. they've, they've passed themselves off as, uh, as someone they're not. Um, and in oh, some wow. ways, it's a meditation on imposter syndrome, right? Um, yeah. uh, the imposter is one of the playbooks that was contributed by a wonderful guest designer. I 
had mm-hmm. the, the great privilege of uh, tapping a couple of my favorite designers out there to um, contribute playbooks as stretch goals when I was doing mm-hmm. Kickstarter. So yeah. The Imposter is created by Epidiah Ravichal, uh, designer of Dread, which Your as I said- first ever game. <laughs> one of my first my first games. Uh, yeah, so, so getting him to contribute to this game of mine was a huge dream come true. Yeah, how did you um, who is the, um, get them to- Sorry, I interrupted you there. Carry on, sorry. Oh, yeah, just the the other guest designer. I got McGay Baker, one of the co-creators mm-hmm. of Apocalypse World, to do the Haunted, uh, which is the the character right on um, the bottom right. I, th- I think I'm I think I'm pointing at pointing to the right side of the screen here. Uh, the character you know with like you know white streak in her hair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, someone you know wondering whether you've really achieved everything you meant to set out to do. Someone kind of you know grappling with uh, a very, the very particular burden of. Uh, you know, feeling uh, feeling like there's unfinished business. Um, yeah, um, getting these designers on board was really was really fun. I reached out and kind of explained mm-hmm. the the premise of the game, kind of gave them the elevator pitch that I gave you earlier, and uh, it mm-hmm. excited both of them. And I was uh, I was very touched that they were excited enough to um, not only agree to contribute playbooks, but kind of come up with their own concepts for playbooks. I'd put out a couple like. Mm-hmm possibilities. And in both cases, Epidai and McGay were like, okay, you know, hearing about the concept of your game, here's mm-hmm. the playbook I would want to design. And I'm like, okay, sure. The imposter, yeah. the haunted. I love it. Let's, let's get those <laughs> characters in there. Yeah, that must be amazing. It's really nice. It feels kind of full circle that your first ever game, the designer there is working on your game here. There's something very, uh, I don't know, feel cyclical about that that I quite like. So, um, mm. so had you met them before, uh, or was it just you? You knew them from being in the industry and were just reaching out to see. Yeah, I, I think we interacted primarily on uh, primarily on Twitter, um, mm-hmm. uh, or like running into each other at uh, game conventions, like the ones in in New Jersey. Okay, great. And um, on Twitter, if you didn't catch it earlier, that's uh, Cloven Pine Games. If you want to give them a follow there and join in the conversation, maybe they'll contact you to be in the next one. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes, please. Yeah. Okay, great. So we've had... that was a great overview kind of, of characters from the playbook. And thank you for that question. That was really great. Um, so we've kind of gone through moves, uh, burdens, uh, characters in the playbooks. Uh, we've also got stories is kind of a key theme in the game yeah. as well. So could we me, dive into that? Let me talk about stories. So yes, kind please. of as alluded to in Back Again from the Broken Land, you start mm-hmm. at the end of one story, right? Like mm-hmm. you are you are traveling back after this big adventure, mm-hmm. making your way home. And of course, that means there's a whole big adventure that's uh, undefined when you start play. There are some backstory questions that you answer together to sort of decide like, who was the Dooms Lord? And why yeah. did your group of you know very small people play such a, you know, important role, albeit a humble one in the fall of the Dooms Lord? So mm-hmm. you answer a couple of those questions, but that still leaves a big gap of, you know, what was that story? And so as you are making your way home, you'll be prompted by different moves to tell a story. And there's a list of stories in the game that kind of mm-hmm. give you some hopefully, you know, exciting inspiration to think over when you tell a story. So there's stories of the journey, like how you got that lingering scar, uh, the person you met on the way whom you hope to mm-hmm. be reunited with, uh, the irritating habit of a companion that you'll secretly miss at journey's end. 
so these <laughs> yeah. are you know prompts that kind of get you thinking, give you something to build on as your character tells a story that then helps to fill in for everybody a bit of the kind of shared backstory you're discovering as you make the journey home. Uh, and it's, you know, important in some ways to kind of have enough of these stories told because that gives people inspiration for what are the burdens they're carrying, right? Yeah. You know, because once you've told a story of how you got the scar, then somebody else can be like, you know what? I think one of my burdens is that I wasn't there to protect you when you got that scar. And that gives them a way to name their burden. And in order to clear their burden, they have to name it. So at the end yeah. of the journey, your epilogue will depend on how many burdens you're still carrying, both named and unnamed. And so mm -hmm. to kind of get the happiest ending, you want to have gotten the chance to both name and clear as many burdens as you can during okay. your journey. Okay, great. So you mentioned earlier that this is played over, well, designed to be played over one or two sessions. So what would like the structure of the the whole kind of kind of game look like? How would, if we were sat down to play a game, what would... Yeah, what I'm very glad you asked. Uh, I'm I'm flipping over into open to the uh, the GM materials in my uh, printed copy here at Backhand mm -hmm. Broken Land because the the first section is called the shape of the game. Uh, Perfect, and that was exactly what my question was. So I should have I should have phrased it like that. Could you tell us about the shape of the game, please, Alexi? Yeah. So companions <laughs> are making their way back home. Uh, uh, they will eventually get to share epilogues reflecting the burdens they still carry, uh, named and unnamed. Uh, but the journey home will be interspersed with stories about what has come before both at home and during the journey. Mm -hmm. And this creates the sense of a vast and epic story larger than you could actually fit into two, se two sessions of play, right? Um, mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I also suggest to GMs to think about kind of letting the journey home be a mix of detailed scenes and montages because you're, you're covering mm -hmm. this you know, very uh, vast map, right? Yeah. With, but that just has kind of particular sites along the way showing the places you might be kind of focusing in on during the journey. Yeah. So the story can represent, you know, months of travel, right? But we kind of, you know, have some parts be montages and some parts be we're really focusing in to see mm -hmm. how this fellowship of small adventurers makes their way through the torchlit swampland, for example. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, yeah. So the shape of the game is, you know, at each of these sites and, you know, depending on whether you're playing one or two sessions, you might be running it with three sites or trying to do six sites. Um, and there's kind of two, two journey paths you could take. As you can see, there's the broken land down at the bottom of the map and home mm -hmm. you know, up off the top of the map with little yeah. arrows pointing towards it. So you could either take the, the journey path that goes from the steel stone field to the toadstool forest or the journey path that goes from the slags guard bastion to the mm -hmm. whispering barrows. And we wanted to have a mix of kind of, terrains and you know moods to the different places you might pass through along those journeys and kind of in each place you'll see the companions might have to negotiate some obstacles they might sure. have a chance to you know to make a connection with other mm -hmm. with you know npcs or creatures they encounter uh and often you know that it's a good idea for the gym to give them a chance to share a meal because it's in sharing meals that they can clear their burdens okay Excellent. Well, that answered my question about the shape of the game perfectly. So thank you. <laughs> uh, so that makes perfect sense. Um, so the game, uh, as I kind of said at the beginning, is is very kind of narrative led. So you're you're sitting around very much telling stories. Um, if you're somebody that's more used to playing something like D and D, for example, uh, that's a lot more structured and less kind of freeform in that way, how what advice would you give to people coming to this game for the first time, or, or what kind of things does the rule book do to try and help you out? You know, with that. 
Yeah, um, I include a couple kind of principles for players that are sort mm -hmm. of sort of best practices, sort of just you know hopefully helpful helpful pointers that uh, point you in the direction of how to play this game to get the most out of this game. And one of those principles is play to find out who you are. Uh, and so that's that's yeah. kind of just to say that you're not coming to this game with all the answers mm -hmm. about your character. The real yeah. hope is you're going to learn about your character as you play this game. You're going to be kind of filling in their backstory by telling stories and listening to stories. And yeah. you'll be kind of learning more about who they are now as you name burdens and hopefully clear some burdens. So kind of, I tell people, be ready mm -hmm. to let the dice, the story prompts, and your fellow players shape who your character turns out to be, which is a okay. little different from, you know, like working out of an exhaustive backstory and filling in an extensive character sheet before you sit mm -hmm. down to play. This game really takes a takes the opposite perspective on how character yeah. creation happens, where character creation is kind of minimal before play and then really something you learn about as you play. Okay, great. So... Um, what sort of stories have you had come out of this game? Because when you have a game that gives you kind of prompts and gives you so much freedoms, you have, like you say, so many different stories you can tell. And in playtesting, you must have seen, yeah, have, do you have any good stories from playtesting or some interesting creative ideas that you hadn't hadn't thought of that a player came up with? Yeah. Um, every time I, I run this, players come up with things I haven't thought of. Um, <laughs> yeah. So a recent a recent session I ran uh, kind of ended with this you know dr dramatic uh, moment where one character was was separated from all the others, kind of mm -hmm. stumbling through a you know a, a swampy area, hiding from the terrifying hunters who are the remnants of the Doomslord's army, and they're kind of they're these you know, perhaps Nazgul-like beings, right? So mm. when they appear, you you have to run or hide. There's no move for fight them because you can't fight them. You can run, yeah. hide, or make a desperate stand, and that's the end of your character. Um, mm. So, so yeah. So he was he's hiding in this in this swamp, and he comes across a you know a mysterious old woman, you know, covered in many you know shawls and rags. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I didn't know exactly how he'd react, but you know, he was he was. Uh, you know, really friendly, re ready to to bond with this NPC, uh, and kind of as as they as they hit it off, and I was thinking about like, you know, what what's the deal with this NPC I've just thrown in here <laughs> on the fly. And there had you know someone already in your hiding place when you hit. I was like, all right, so what's what's the deal going to be? And then I realized um, this would actually be a great tie-in to one of the the stories that another uh, player had told about the. Um, you know, this revered immortal figure called the star queen uh, that, you know, they were a devotee of. And so, you know, as the, uh, as the wayfinder kind of hit it off with this strange old woman and they started, you know, gathering some, uh, some muscles to turn into a stew, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. she kind of casually let slip that once she was known as Elantari, the star queen. Uh, <laughs> and, and like the, the player just kind of nodded like that. He, he's like, he's like, ah, oh, yeah, that's uh that's quite a title. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, they, uh, the, the others, the others rejoined them and they eventually, you know, had this, they shared this meal, uh, and, uh, you know, nobody kind of, nobody like reacted in a big way to this beggar woman being the, mm -hmm. the, the fallen, you know, star queen. But when they were sharing their meal, she pulled out a, uh, a bottle of you know, sparkling wine that seemed to shine, you know, brighter than, uh, than it should. And they all mm -hmm. kind of, they all like raised a glass to, to their, their hometown that they were returning to. And it ended up being kind of, 
you know, a subtle mm. uh, scene about kind of living with having having lost a status you once had and, you know, trying to find mm. a way to move forward. And, you know, everyone kind of played up how this could be connected to the themes of the game and, you know, the themes that drew together this NPC and their player characters. Yeah, just some great stories that come out of that. Um, I was mentioning earlier, I said about how for players that haven't played this style of game, kind of how, how we approach that. But someone in the comment has also mentioned that as a GM, um, if you've not played this style of game before, it's really different from how you would approach a more traditional game, like, for example, D&D. Um, so because GM as a GM, you would have to, you know, have a plot ready to present and a story to show to the players. But it feels much more the reverse in in this system. Yeah, the Powered by the Apocalypse, you know, mm. often has a principle like that, either play to find out what happens or in the wonderful game Monster Hearts, keep the story feral. Uh, yeah. So there's just a sense of if you're playing PBTA, you have to be ready to react to what the dice offer, what the other players around the table offer. Uh, and that's going to kind of bring you to someplace more interesting than uh, you would have gotten to with a like kind of pre-prepped plot. And, you know, kind of mm-hmm. picking up one of these games is, you know, signing on to giving that a go, you know, yeah. trying to play according to that principle where the GM mm-hmm. has created hopefully an interesting situation or mm-hmm. the GM has, you know, in, a, in the case of a one-shot game, they're more likely to be drawing from a book that hopefully has, you know, interesting mm-hmm. situations, you know, proffered to them and then the it's kind of up to the players to discover a plot uh by through their characters actions as as they interact with that situation you know and and this varies from game to game you know exactly what type of a plot is likely to develop you know in some ways back in the broken land is there is a like kind of set structure to it your characters have a have a defined goal you know from the get-go of the game and then you're playing to find out how they uh, navigate obstacles, how they change and learn about themselves along the way. Um, in in a game like uh, Monster Hearts, uh, mm-hmm. your characters are you know teenage monsters in small town America by default. If we're just looking at some kind of the default setting yeah. of the game, and you're playing to find out how you you know kind of crash and burn in your life uh, because the game is all about you know the uh, mistakes teenagers might make and the ways they, you know, push at boundaries and, you know, end up hurting themselves and others. And, you know, it's, it's kind of messy drama that can turn tragic. Uh, and what you're playing to find out is, you know, how that's going to happen and whether there's any, you know, way to recover from it. And so, you know, each Powered by the Apocalypse game really have its own set of prompts about, you know, what, what type of plot might emerge from the, from the tools the designer has, has put into this game mm-hmm. and kind of what you are, what you are playing to find out what what the kind of question is that brings you to the table that the game will you know give an answer to one way or another sure and if somebody was going to gm this game for the for the first time what um what kind of tips would you get or advice would you give to them for running the game for running back again for the broken land yeah um you know i'll i'll share a couple things from the from the rule book as well i i oh, say okay. to gms um you know, make the world vast and bittersweet. Uh, so just that's a way mm-hmm. to think about what type of a setting this is, which is a one that is very big compared to the smallness of our adventurers. You know, we're mm-hmm. thinking like, you know, the hobbits looking up at the Oliphants, right? You know, yeah. this game is all about those like big moments yeah. of contrast in scale um, mm-hmm. and uh, fill the companion's journey with pitfalls and poignancy. So, you know, there's both, mm-hmm. both going to be moments of kind of 
action, right? Of having to having to scramble and uh, come up with solutions to problems, but also moments of emotional connection, right? You know, we're playing this game to see the companions on this journey, and also to see there's those quieter moments where they're gathered around a campfire and somebody is, you know, making making do with the rations that are left and trying to tell a story to raise their companion spirits and, you mm-hmm. know, giving a sort of a sort of balance there is one of the key roles of the GM, you know, as you as you manage this kind of the pace of the game, mm-hmm. thinking about leaving room for stories and meals is a big important element of back again for the broken land that might not feel as important in a, a game where stories and meals aren't the focus or right. Like yeah. if stories and meals are just a sideshow, you might feel like, okay, we can kind of, we can kind of skip past that to get to the adventure. But in this game, the stories and meals kind of are the adventure. Yeah, definitely. Which is such a, a, a nice different pace. I could almost picture this being a way that you kind of summarize a kind of campaign or something if you're doing like a a really big long campaign that's more combat focused this could be something you do kind of almost as a palate cleanser to try and get some kind of more narrative role play in if, um, if you've if you've just run a big action focused campaign yeah. and it like ended with some kind of epic confrontation involving armies and mm-hmm. whatnot you could very easily decide that this game is telling the story of some other characters that you were in like that b- below your PC's notice who you know came yeah. and participated and now are like making their way home uh, you know, after that big battle. Like it is, it is. Uh, I think it is ripe to be used in that way. Awesome. That's kind of what I was hoping. So, because that <laughs> sounds really interesting to me, because it would be a way to get other little moments and and stories in of this of the wider world beyond you know your epic hero characters. You just have like these more ordinary people, which is a totally different story. Yeah. Um, we've had a question as well about um, so using the rules from back again from the broken land. Could you make it like a post apocalyptic or a different sort of genre opposed to the classic fantasy Lord of the Rings setting? Yeah, that would be that would be possible. You know, many of the moves could be could be uh, brought over. The key would be uh, coming up with kind of a nice set of evocative names that fit the type of genre you're interested in. Because this is kind mm-hmm. of preloaded with a bunch of evocative names of kind of high fantasy feeling things. Like we yeah. saw on that map, you know, the frozen maw of the earth and the great sapphire bridge. You know, these are things that kind of yeah. for me feel like you know in keeping with this, you know, Tolkien-esque world of, mm-hmm. of wonder and fantasy. And so, you know, you could tell a similar story uh, in a more like blasted Mad Max landscape, as long as you, you know, call things the the toxic swamp lands or yeah. you know, the mutant forest or whatever. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I even had a chat with my wonderful friend, uh, Rich Rogers, who runs a lot of games set in uh, the Star Wars galaxy. You know, he will, he will take, okay. uh, he will take a, you know, existing game and be like, what, where could this fit into Star Wars? Can I take this, you know, game of narco fiction called Cartel and make it about criminals in Star Wars involved in the Hut Cartel? And and he did, and it okay. works. <laughs> uh, so he was like, Great. "Could we do back in with Orkland Land, but it's Ewoks?" And I'm like, "You know, you <gasps> might be able to do that. You know, uh, I, I I could I could see it if you know Ewoks had to travel you know far from their home village to you know, participate in the big battle against the stormtroopers. Sure." Oh my goodness, you just touched that. Like, I was in a Star Wars campaign and my GM would not let me play an Ewok. So, you saying that has just brought memories and things to me. They're like, but you couldn't communicate with the other players. And I was like, I could make my 
my feelings known very easily as an Ewok. It'd be, yeah, I don't have the language skills, but I know exactly how I'd do that. Um, yeah, so sorry you saying that was like, oh my goodness, yes. Um, so a lot of people are having a bit of uh, love for the game. So Alex was just saying they love the sound of the game so much. So um, where can they get it? Is it available? Where can they grab the game? It is. So you can get the PDF of the game on my uh, itch.io page so cloven pine games on itch.io has a bunch of my games and you can um, <clears throat> download the back game from the broken land pdf there um if you're interested in a physical copy like the uh, the wonderful one i am holding up pre-orders are still open so uh through the kind of there we go through the pledge manager uh mm -hmm. where my um kickstarter backers have been entering their information to get their copies which are coming mm -hmm. out very soon uh yeah. other folks who missed the kickstarter have the opportunity to to pre-order and receive the physical copy as well they'll be open for not too long from now i would say you know uh, probably but uh folks who are interested in Oh, am I still am I still out? Oh yeah, you through? lost me a little, a little bit there, but you the jumped screen. up a bit there. So um how long will they be available for? Uh pre will be available for um another week or so. Um okay. and then uh folks who are interested later in getting a physical copy of the game will be able to order one from Indie Press Revolution. Uh so eventually oh, okay. there'll be uh uh you know a listing up there for back again from the broken land. Excellent. That's great to hear. So I put the links in the chat as well. And we'll put the links in the show notes for both of those places. So if you're listening to the podcast later, you can check that out. And if you're watching us live now, you can just click the link because that's quite a long link I've put up in the banner there that you <laughs> probably don't want to type out there. Um, so we are coming up to the top of the hour. So if you have any questions uh, for Alexi, now is the time to ask them. So just pop them in the chat and we'll put them up on the screen to answer for you. Uh, but if, of course, you uh, miss your moment and you think, Oh, I need to ask this. Of course, you can uh, stay in touch with them at Twitter, uh, which is Cloven Pine Games. And also, uh, you also have like a newsletter with um, the Cloven Pine Substack there. That's right. Yeah. Murmurs from the Cloven Pine is my Substack newsletter. So every month mm -hmm. I put out a little newsletter that talks about some games I've run and games I've played. Uh, often I'll have a little discussion of some concept from game design. Uh, most recently I discussed, you know, why use stats in game design? Because this is kind of a fun, you know, <laughs> debate, right? Where there's games where you don't have stats at all. So it's like, okay, but what do you gain from having stats? And I kind of yeah. said like, look, you know, uh, games differ, but the, here's a list of cool things that stats can do in a game, including kind of be a pitch for the game, like uh, my game Secret Science Sewer Siblings, where your four stats are Teenager, Mutant, Ninja, and Critter. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, talking about talking about all sorts of game design concepts mm -hmm. and sharing stuff, sharing stories from games I've run or played, uh, you can subscribe on Substack to uh, to get that. Excellent way to stay in touch. Um, so there's an important question I ask in every show, uh, which somebody has asked, uh, which is, what is your favorite tabletop role-playing game? But And the rule I put in is it can't be one you've you've worked on uh, and not one we've kind of discussed uh, today. So that will be, there's the the caveat on that question. It's, it makes it a very tough question because I did, I did get to talk about some of my favorite games along the way, including Dread and Masks. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, a couple other games that are you know near the top of my list and that I'd love to recommend folks to check out are uh, Escape from Dino Island. Uh, this is a cool. game by Sam, um, Sam Roberts and Sam Tung uh, that is about you know going to a 
island full of dinosaurs and trying to escape from it and perhaps solve some of its mysteries along the way. And it's built to work as a one-shot or a two-shot game uh, and similarly has this, you know, this sense of kind of quick, quickly you build your characters and then you'll learn more about them if they survive long enough to tell some stories of their of their background. Uh, but of course, mm-hmm. they could get eaten by dinosaurs along the way. So I mean, of course, that's the risk. Yeah, that is that is always the risk. It's a, it's a very slick little game. I love it. Um, mm-hmm. Another game I will recommend highly here. Uh, this is a uh, and yeah, all these games I'm recommending are also powered by the apocalypse. So if if hearing about that system intrigued you, these are some good games that uh, play mm-hmm. around with what powered by the apocalypse games can be, and that's always fun. Um, Girl Underground is this other game I'm going to recommend. That's by mm-hmm. um, Lauren Mc. Manaman and Jesse Ross. It is a game mm-hmm. about a curious girl in a wondrous world along the lines of Alice in Wonderland or The Wizard of Oz or even Spirited okay. Away, where okay. you know there is a shared character of the girl who has fallen into this world. And then each player, in addition to taking turns being the girl, also plays one of her uh, mysterious companions or, you know, the kind of, you know, like the scarecrow or the tin man or the lion, right? Like mm-hmm. these you know, strange beings that have, you know, become the companions of the girl as she uh, learns lessons and uh, kind of develops her own beliefs in this strange world she's fallen into. So that is, that is another exciting uh, Powered by the Apocalypse game. Um, Lastly, I'll plug a cool game from Magpie. Uh, like their game yeah. Rapscallion is a pirate PBTA game where you play as you know a crew of pirates on a fantastical sea where you know magic is omnipresent and can you know easily transform you if you get mixed up in it. So you know you can have your kind of classic pirate archetypes, but you also have people who feel mm-hmm. gotten you know touched on magic a little too much, and they might have you know tattoos that come alive or you know a uh, a little like you know demon riding inside of them kind of you know pushing them towards uh, <laughs> more and more brutal things right or you know be kind of slowly transforming into a mermaid or whatever right like mm-hmm. there are lots of fun kind of piratical fantasy flourishes to rapscallion and it is out right now as a as an ash can you know that is as a sort of kind of early version of the game that you can get, uh, but they mm-hmm. are working on a, um, a more complete uh, version of Rapscallion. So, you know, listen to my recommendation and get it on the ground floor uh, and then uh, follow along as Magpie turns Rapscallion into the epic pirate game it is built shaping up to be. Excellent. That sounds great. Well, thank you for those recommendations. And um, we have had a quick question about back again from the Broken Land. Um, is it likely to be available on Drive-Thru RPG or at the moment? Uh, I I may post the PDF on Drive RPG. I don't know if I'm going to go for uh, print on demand there, but um, mm-hmm. there will be ways to uh, to get a hold of the printed copy uh, through uh, through Indie Press Re- Revolution. Okay, there we go. And for this week, as we mentioned, the link we put in the chat as well, so you can go right. now. Yeah, um, yeah. If you act now, sure. you can get in a pre order and receive your uh, receive your physical copy. You know, as we send it out to uh, Kickstarter backers. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, thank you very much for confirming that. Um, So we're kind of coming up to the end of the session now. Uh, So Alexi, thank you so much uh, for coming on and sharing your game with us and telling us all about that. We've got the links there so people can uh, stay in touch uh, and, you know, hear more about your games. Oh, yeah, they've got that up on there. Uh, so uh, we have uh, another episode of Not D&D next week on Monday. Next week, we are talking about 
this book, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Uh, so that will be coming on next week at Monday, 10 p.m. BST. Slightly different pace game uh, from what we talked about this week. So we love the variety there. Uh, also, uh, tomorrow on Twitch here on EM Publishing, we've got uh, the third episode of the Starcross Seaway, looking at Level Up Advanced 5th Edition. Uh, but of course, you can get a summary and schedule of all the shows at enliverpg.com. Uh, so you can check that out there to see our full schedule. Uh, and as I mentioned before, all of the shows are brought to you by EN Live, which is part of EN World, the leading tabletop news and review site. Uh, so thank you very much, uh, somebody, uh, everybody there. Oh, we have had one quick question. I will jump in before we jump off. As will the right. print version be available in the UK? That so so yeah. If you pre-order, yes, we're we're definitely doing international uh, shipping for pre-orders. Right. I actually don't know about whether indie press where indie press revolution ships i i bet mm -hmm. they will ship to the uk too but if you want a guarantee uh, that you get it uh pre-order it now <laughs> that's great sorry i just wanted to jump in on that because i saw that i was like that's an excellent question it's a time uh, anyway, question yeah well time question okay well, thank you so much everybody's coming alexi thank you so much for your time and coming on today absolutely it was a lot of fun okay that's great well thanks very much and hopefully see you next week everybody else